0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Kieker. Senior Care Live. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Thousands of people listen to this program right here on Talk 980 AM, and many of you are streaming the program. You might be listening after the fact on a podcast, but anyway, about it, I really appreciate you being here today. This program is all about educating seniors and their caregivers and helping them make informed decisions, and this is a great place to listen and learn, and so many people consider Senior Care Live Appointment Radio, and I hope you will, too. As always, if you have a question, visit online at SeniorCareLive, L-I-V-E, SeniorCareLive.com. Or you could go old school. Give us a phone call at 1-800-331-6445. All right, so as promised, we have a spectacular program for you here today. I promise you're going to learn a whole lot. would like to introduce my friend and special guest today, Dr. Herrick. He is a family practice physician, and in his spare time while he was going to school, he got a Ph.D. in biomedical engineering. <laughs> He's one of the most intelligent human beings I have ever met. He is incredibly qualified to talk about this and i'm so thrilled to have him in studio today dr herrick welcome to senior care live thank you steve i appreciate being on your show okay so let's uh let's jump right in i have so many questions (laughs) so uh, let's talk about this delta variant because i mean this is the big deal right now how is the delta variant different from the original strain of COVID 19. it's mutated so the covid
1: is a what they call rna virus and it turns out that it mutates much faster than say human beings do or higher level animals uh they the rna viruses don't have um correction uh editing for multiplying and so like if there happens to be a mistake putting a different building block of their RNA uh when they when they reproduce uh it doesn't get caught it doesn't get corrected you know we we have that sort of thing and so don't quote me on this figure but i want to say that rna viruses mutate about 2000 times faster Oh, great. Than, than human, than human <laughs> beings. Uh, and, and I remember a year ago when our infectious disease doc gave a talk to us and, and he predicted that, yeah, there could be a substantial change in COVID uh, as as we watch it. Uh, so here we are, you know, 20 months later, and we have these various variants among those uh, circulating most prominently, particularly here in Johnson County, is the Delta variant. And the majority of cases in Johnson County are Delta Uh, delta differs from the original COVID uh, both on one end they call it the N terminal end uh, and also and we're talking about the spike protein here Uh, it also uh, the part of the spike protein that attaches to cells uh, is different from the original Hmm. Uh, and so there's there's you know, minute changes there, but some of those minute changes have a big effect. A lot of times in biology, you change a little, you tweak a little something, it can really have a big effect. And the effects for Delta have been that not only multiplies faster, uh, so um, one person can infect more people Mm. with Delta than the previous COVID-19, but also the incubation period's shorter. Great. So (laughs) if I catch the virus and it starts multiplying in me, uh, I before I feel sick, am more likely
0: to pass it on than the original COVID. Okay, that's horrible news. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I asked right. <laughs> so uh, viruses, I mean their their whole job is to stay alive, and the, to stay alive, they they uh, they they mutate because they're they're survivors. Uh, so you know, let's talk about some other variants that so we can look kind of maybe some other parts of the world so for example there's a lambda variant which sounds kind of extra scary it's i believe it started in peru but the first the first known virus of the lambda variant has been identified in houston texas and from what i'm reading reports are early but the Lambda variant, our, our vaccines don't work too well as far as stopping that one. So are we going to have to continuously update these vaccines, almost like a, a flu shot, like every year it might be a little bit different to try, try to stay ahead of this thing? A lot of people are predicting that sort of on a
1: lay, everyday basis. My, my hope is no, that if we can get ahead of it now before we have... For example, just making something up, the Zeta variant. Um, yeah, I know. I know a physician has expressed concern that we're going to run out of letters, <laughs> uh, right? And, and so, the longer it multiplies out there in the community, the, the longer it festers, the more it can mutate, and the more it can mutate, the more it can escape our means of control. We expended a large effort, a large amount of money in developing the vaccines. Uh, there, there is concern that it could mutate enough that the vaccines may not work Um, so far. And we can get into this in a little bit. uh, There is reason to believe that the current vaccine is working well uh, with Delta, except for certain groups. Um, But I do know that there is a medicine that I've been using uh, and other physicians have been using for people who are particularly at risk, uh, for older people, for people with preexisting medical conditions, we can give antibodies against COVID—a uh, one-time intravenous dose—and hmm. that can prevent hospitalization. I've given it to over a dozen people. The original medicine we were using for that, locally here in town at our hospital, is no longer recommended because Delta has outmutated okay. this medicine. So now we're on to our, our second-level med. Uh, and, and that antibody is, is from the company Regeneron. You may remember that sure. uh, President Trump got that yeah. when, when he had COVID, among other things. Uh, but we were given a medicine called Bamlam, ivimab and we should not use that anymore because it's not as effective against okay. the Delta variant.
0: So the Regeneron is still something that's, that is effective. Was it effective right. for your patients? Uh, everyone that we've given
1: monoclonal antibodies to both BAM, LAM, Ivimab, and the Regeneron product are monoclonal antibodies. So they fall within this group mm-hmm. and the important word there is antibody. They're antibodies against COVID. They can be manufactured against COVID. Uh, and those, I- at least in my patients so far that we've given the antibody infusion, none of them have had to go in the hospital. Uh, one lady in particular, she was about 60. Uh, we gave the antibody infusion and her brother got COVID at the same time, and unfortunately, her 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 brother did not get the antibody infusion. She did; she survived. He did not. Wow! And so that was a particularly poignant case. Mm. And, and I know she at the time was uh, quite tearful in talking to me and said, "You know, I wish we would have realized how how bad this this disease is."
0: Yep. Well, and when I and okay, so. <laughs> I understand people who do not want to take the vaccine. They're, they're fearful. There may be a lack of trust in the government, uh, mixed, missed, uh, mixed messages or messaging, if you will. Um, there are all kinds of areas where I, I think we have at large, we fumbled the ball and, and we're not doing a good job with, with a lot of these uh, you know, big issues. Uh, but the one thing that's just really had a huge impact on me is I'm now hearing, and this is all, all over the news, uh, is that someone who is a staunch uh, anti-vax uh, person, okay? And, and that's fine. You have your beliefs, and I'm not mad at you about it. I'm, right. I don't fall into that camp. I, I've had every vaccine under the sun. I had some fear of this one or, or some concerns. You helped me get over that, and I appreciate that. Uh, but, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, uh, all, there are all these people who said, I will never take the vaccine period i will not and then they get covid and then they end up in the hospital and you know what every single one of them have said on camera or in a news report i wish i would have taken the vaccine i was wrong i was wrong and that takes a big person to admit that
1: um you may remember from our january interview that at first because it was a new kind of vaccine um I studied it for a few days and wasn't quite sure first, but became convinced uh, part of it through correspondence with an international expert on RNA and immunity that hey, this was okay. Um, I've come around to thinking that uh, this hope to sudden if anybody that that this kind of technology is is the wave of the future. There may eventually be cancer vaccines with this kind of technology, um, and so. I'd be happy to answer any particular concerns you've heard about the vaccine that might help people reconsider.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Speaking today with Dr. Patrick Herrick, and we are, um, it, w- this has been fascinating. This this, this segment has just, just flying by, I'll tell you that. If you have a specific question for Dr. Herrick, just feel free to go to SeniorCareLive.com and you can submit your question through that either through email or through the contact form and uh, and, and we can take care of it that way. So uh, coming up here uh, throughout the rest of the program, I have all kinds of questions for Dr. Herrick about you know the accuracy of the test. I think we've improved those uh, and I have some specific questions about that. I'm going to talk about, you know, what is the mRNA technology? Is is that something that we should fear, or is that something that uh, it seems to be perfectly safe? I think there's some information that we're going to talk about that will surprise you. Uh, and, and then I have another specific question for Dr. Herrick coming up, and it is, you know, how long does this vaccine stay in your body? I mean, it just kind of sounds scary, uh, but I think you'll be shocked with Dr. Herrick's information that he'll share with that. Uh, so with that, let's not forget about the Senior Care Live question of the week. All COVID-19 vaccinations alter your DNA. Is that statement true or false? The answer coming up next. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, visit SeniorCareLive.com. And don't forget you can stream this program to any electronic device. Super simple at SeniorCareLive.com and through the app Odyssey.com, and that's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. All right, back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. All COVID-19 vaccinations alter your DNA. Is that statement true or false? And the answer is... False. The answer is false. And Dr. Herrick, what about the belief that the vaccine alters your DNA? From a large group of people out there, that is one of the beliefs, but that's not true. Is that correct? That's correct. So...
1: Um In general, the flow of genetic information goes from DNA to RNA and then to protein. And protein is how we do what we do. Protein is like the machine in some ways by which our bodies do what they do. Um, RNA is like the blueprint for the machine. And so the way the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are different is that instead of giving the machinery, they give the blueprint for the machinery. And our bodies know how to translate that blueprint into machinery. Hmm. The allegation that RNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna get into our DNA uh, stems from a belief that the flow of information would go backwards. By and large, that's an exception in biology. I'll just throw out a figure, it's gonna be approximate. 90% or more of all organisms do not have the flow of information go backward from RNA to DNA. There is a certain group of viruses called retroviruses. Uh, COVID is not a retrovirus. Um, Retroviruses contain RNA and then once they infect you, they change the RNA into DNA and the DNA can insert into our own genes. Hmm. That takes another machine enzyme called reverse transcriptase and you know, you know the word reverse it reverses the flow of information from rna back in the dna and then there's still other enzymes other other cellular machinery that has to incorporate the dna into our own cells so the allegation that covid vaccines mrna vaccines like pfizer and moderna can insert into our own dna would rely on the existence of reverse transcriptase now we know COVID doesn't have it and in fact the vaccine is not the entire COVID. it's only the spike protein Uh, And as a matter of fact, human beings don't have it either. So there is no uh, way that that RNA can go backwards in the DNA to even be inserted into our cells, and that would require another host of cellular machinery to make it happen. and I think this allegation rose in part because it's new technology, you know, the fear of the, un- the unknown. Yep. And and it, it's just not a, a factor with these new vaccines.
0: Well, and, and like I said, you helped me get more comfortable uh, about the vaccine. And you had also mentioned that the, the – the vaccine would have to contain a particular enzyme to even make that possible. And then it may not even do go backwards, but the vaccine does not include that enzyme. So exactly. it's kind of a roadblock that prohibits that from happening. Is that Did I say that right in exactly, lay terms? Exa-
1: exactly right. <laughs> yeah, the
0: flow of information cannot go backward with yeah. this one. Uh, it, there, it's pretty much a one-way street. I love, that's perfect, and I love the the description of an MRA as the blueprint that tells then the protein what to do, and the blueprint is saying, find spiky things and eat it or kill it, right. <laughs> or do away with it, and uh, and and I, I just, I love that. I think that's great. So let's, um, th- this is just one of the things, frankly, it kind of blows my mind. Why do some people literally seem to be, completely unaffected asymptomatic they have covid and they never knew it or they they have no clue because it has zero impact on them and yet other people it's lethal it's a death sentence why do we have such extremes from zero to a hundred i mean how is that possible right one thing about
1: biology is the variation within biology there's hardly anything in biology that's like a hundred percent Anything. There's always you know an exception to the rule, Um, and and so in this case, uh, with with the people who you know the majority honestly who don't get that sick, uh, there is something different. And the the problem is we can give people tendencies, okay, probabilities. You know, if you're young and healthy, you'll probably be fine. That's not always true. You know, two weeks ago, Children's Mercy had three kids. In the ICU with COVID, mm. um, but the percentage of kids who get it bad certainly not like elderly people, um, people with cre- pre-existing diseases. I think we all know that they get COVID worse. Uh, but one thing about our country, I think we have a great value for life in this country. And you know, if there was something going around, you know, you look at current events. If there's a situation where a thousand people could be taken hostage. You know, we've got two hundred, you know, three hundred million people in this country. We care about those thousand people, and the same thing is true with with COVID. This is why we've gone through such effort and expense to fight COVID because some people get really bad, and and a lot of people have died. Um, even in johnson County, currently there are people dying from COVID, uh, and it's high right now in August as compared to where it was in June. Um, we're at a spike again uh and and the interesting thing biologically what's going on there's new information the people who don't get very sick uh you can't always predict in advance what's going on but they've looked at the blood of people who are sick originally and people who had mild to moderate symptoms have a certain type of antibody in their blood and the new phrase is uber antibody uber antibody uber antibody and and so uber antibodies not only have a stronger affinity for covid but they also tend to resist the mutations better and
0: scientists are just starting to figure this out trying to figure out how to bottle it okay and that's the variance that you talked about everyone's biology is a little bit different and some may have a stronger uh, immune reaction; these uber antibodies that take care of it. You don't even—it's not even a speed bump. You don't even know you have it. And some people may—they just—they don't have that strong of a reaction uh, it, within their immune system within their own body to, to take care of this. And then you have the symptoms that could lead to hospitalization, ventilators, etc. Yes. I know uh, my friend's ex-wife um, had. Contracted COVID. I'm pretty sure she's an anti-vaxxer and, and will never take anything ever. She ended up in the hospital. I don't believe she needed a vent, but I think they had to crank it up to about 20 liters a minute of oxygen. She just barely did not need a vent, came right up to the line. Discharged her home, and they think that she will have lifelong lung injury or impairment. Mm-hmm. And And um, that this is this is that's scary stuff, and, and and it was Delta that she contracted. She's probably in her mid fifties, healthy as a horse, but it affected her, and she has lung damage because of this lifelong lung issues now, right. because she didn't take the vaccine. She could be one of these people on a news report that looks at the camera and said, "I wish I would have taken the vaccine." So. I, hopefully for our listeners that this information is is educational. We present this uh, in, a, in a in a real positive light. There are no politics involved in this discussion as you can see, just the facts, ma'am, <laughs> right? Just the facts. So so don't be one of those people where it's too late and you're, and you're like, I wish, i would have taken the vaccine do your homework listen to this information do not rely on on the media period any of it for your information get it from a credible medical clinically driven source and and you just can't go wrong with that and then make an informed decision i have so much more you don't want to miss it stay tuned we'll be right back listening to senior care live on the senior care broadcasting network for more information go to seniorcarelive.com and don't forget to check out all of our podcasts of all of the recent episodes again at seniorcarelive.com you could also search for those on all of the major podcast platforms like apple google amazon player fm etc just check it out you can do a search for that and it'll go into your inbox all right. We're here today with Dr. Patrick Herrick. He is a family practice physician and, uh, by the way, has a Ph.D. in biomedical engineering. And we're talking every all things... Uh, COVID-19, vaccinations, and it's just been a fascinating, fascinating uh, discussion. And uh, Dr. Herrick, on the break, you uh, shared a story about one of your patients, and I think it's a very, very powerful message. C- could you share that with uh, with our audience today, please? Sure. It's an example of what you were saying about the unpredictability
1: of the virus. How without... Uh, an extremely evident pattern, one person could be hit really hard and it's hard to predict. So uh, in the last three, four weeks, we've had two 40 some year old women who were admitted to the hospital with COVID. Uh, And the first one was really ill. And um, when she first came to see me, uh, she said, you know, I was just kind of waiting because my friends got it, it wasn't that bad. And she was feeling horrible at that point. And without any prompting, she said to me, you know, tearfully, it's, it's, it's her fault. She said, it's my fault. Um, I should have been vaccinated. And uh, she was admitted to the hospital, and we we feared for her life, seriously. And and she was also fearing she knew it. Uh, And that's a very sobering moment. Um, But with the help of new medicines, we've got three medicines we use in the hospital now against COVID that that weren't there 15 months ago. Mm -hmm. And I know that my own patients mortality is not what it was. Uh, we haven't lost anyone, thankfully, uh, since uh, the first, say, six, eight months of the epidemic. I, I'm sure it can happen again, and I know it happens every day, but the new medicines help. And and so there, there are three I'm thinking of. One is remdesivir, and remdesivir is an antiviral medication. Most antivirals work by getting in the way of the virus multiplying its own RNA or Hmm. or DNA, whatever the case may be, whichever kind of virus it is. So, you know, there's machinery that helps, you know, reproduce the blueprint, so to speak. Yeah. Make new RNA. And basically remdesivir gets into that machinery and gums it up. Okay. Uh, There's also steroids. Steroids are given quite frequently now. Uh, Steroids really should be reserved for people who are bad enough to be in the hospital. That's where the data shows they help. The interesting thing is the antiviral medication remdesivir is something we do in the first week in the hospital. And then the second week we do steroids because something that happens with COVID, one of the really bad things about COVID is it just sets up so much inflammation. It really damages the lungs and, and the steroids help tone down that inflammation. Uh, steroids are just kind of like a, a, a um, bug bomb on the immune system. I mm-hmm. mean that in a good way. Hopefully yeah. that's not turning people off. No, but no. <laughs> they just tone things down, right? It makes you know, sense. Sometimes we, you know, anybody who's had an autoimmune disease would know, sometimes our own, you know, friendly fire can injure us. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also a new medicine called Tocilizumab, and we've given that a number of times. And if you're sick enough when you come in the hospital, you might get Tocilizumab. And Tocilizumab is what they call an interleukin inhibitor. And interleukin is one of those things within the immune immune system that is good for for fighting enemy, but sometimes,
0: again, it can turn into friendly fire and we just need to tone it down. So I think uh, you had mentioned off mic that if you're showing symptoms, and you see your doctor and you test positive it the one of the critical parts of the message is you need to have the remdesivir right away there's a period of time where it's most effective and that's early is that correct yes
1: so remdesivir being the hospital medicine if you're sick enough to be in the hospital you definitely want that in the first part of the hospitalization Uh, analogously in outpatient situation if you're not sick enough to to go in the hospital for the first week there, you can get the antibody therapy. The antibody therapy probably does not help in the second week. Again, because the virus is probably no longer multiplying at that point. It's just, you know, inflammation. Uh, But uh, I I definitely see a pattern where, you know, there's a lot of places that test and thank goodness there are, because I think the doctor's offices would be overwhelmed. But I think the urgent carers are not getting the message across, or else perhaps patients are not hearing the message around the urgent cares, that when they get diagnosed in the urgent care, the people in the high risk groups could well get antibodies. And and that's, that's, if we could, you know, come away with one or two points from today, I think that'd be the first thing is if you get diagnosed and you're older
0: or you have a high risk medical condition, let your doctor know in the first week. Okay, and then, and then you could get this antibody therapy, and then, you know, God forbid, but if it's bad enough to be hospitalized, then you can get the remdesivir. These things are most effective in the first week, so don't sit around, don't, don't wait, act now. I mean, act immediately. Right. It could save your life.
1: That's That's very true.
0: Okay, another hot topic that's been horribly politicized, and I hate that something that's medical in nature has been just grossly... Overly politicized. I hate that. Okay, so just trying to strip all that away. But wearing a mask is now a political hot potato, and I, and I don't like that. Are masks effective? Should we be wearing masks? When should we be wearing masks? And uh, one of the kind of one of the things that I've been hearing about here lately is oxygen deprivation with the mask. And this is something you know a lot about. I appreciate that. So one thing I would say about politics is,
1: um, and again, I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but my family could tell you I'm about as red state as red state can be. Um, But there's an overlap here. Certainly there are civil liberty issues, but there's also medical issues. And and when it comes to questions of medical, um, I think it's good to look at how reliable it is what you're reading. Um, Certainly, statistics are one of the things I've been encouraging people to look at when you're reading things about COVID. Look for statistics, not just percentages, but look for what they call confidence intervals or or P tests. Uh, I think that's a good way to sort the wheat from the chaff when it comes to the information. But but as far as masks go, there's been um, allegations, concerns that the mask will decrease your oxygen. And there is indeed some data showing that oxygen levels in what you're breathing in can go down a little bit but the studies that look at blood oxygen which is really what our tissues need the the studies that measure oxygen through a pulse oximeter for example i think we're all familiar with those machines um or the studies that that look at actual blood gases show that the oxygen inside your body is not diminished We're, we're born with a lot of reserve um and most people, unless they're severely diseased, can definitely breathe more than they have to. They, ex- they can extract, they're getting more oxygen into their lungs than they, than they absolutely have to have. Of course, we want them to, to get it all if possible, but a mask is not gonna diminish, for most people, the ability to get enough oxygen in your body. I only know of one study where that was the case, and these people were on dialysis machines at the time the study was done. So their blood is half, exaggeration in a machine not yeah. in their not in their own body not uh there to pick up the oxygen for the lungs and still 80% of them got enough oxygen so i think it's good to be flexible for people who do have chest pain or severe shortness of breath when wearing a mask then for goodness sake take it off till you feel better but um there's several studies Published in the journal MMWR that show not only the effectiveness of masks in decreasing transmission, but the effectiveness of masks in
0: decreasing hospitalizations. Okay. All right. Excellent. And then last time we talked, there was a huge shortage of tests because all of this was new. And uh, now, do we have enough tests now? I'm assuming we do. By and large, except for, I think, individual supply chain issues, yes. Okay, all right, so a supply chain, not necessarily the supply. <laughs> right, so, uh, or not, Not? not uh, yeah, got that. So uh, how are the tests accurate? Uh, just, to, I just wanted to kind of revisit that. Right. I know there's the one with the Q-tip to the back of the brain, and uh, that one, I, I believe, is, is pretty accurate. Uh, but, you know, so let's talk about that and then the accuracy of these quick tests. Yes, so the one to the back of the brain, the PCR That
1: is theoretically 100% sensitive in picking it up. Uh, Both tests, both the PCR and then the rapid test. the rapid tests are the ones that just kind of tickle the front of your nostril. Um, Both, if they say COVID is there, it's right. Um, But the rapid test, the good thing it's got is rapid rapidity, but there's usually a trade-off.
0: If something's faster, it's not always going to pick it up. Okay. All right. And then, um, and I'm kind of jumping around here, I, I, just have, I just have so many uh, uh, questions, but why are these vaccines particularly, and we're really focusing on the mRNA, um, I've personally kind of dismissed the other types of vaccines because they're just, they're not as effective uh, in, in some other, you know, potential side side effects or issues with those. But so focusing on the mRNA vaccines, how how on earth are they 94% effective? I mean, that's just unheard of. Right,
1: right. <laughs> and, and that was a phenomenal thing to see when they came out that the mRNA vaccines were 94, 95% effective. Uh, and, and I believe it's probably due to the fact that they do involve RNA. I, one of the things we were talking about earlier, Steve, was that, um, the concern about the RNA hanging out in your body. And as you said, it's correct. The RNA does not hang out for more than a day or two. We actually have these enzymes um, in our body that digest RNA. It turns out RNA is one of the things that gets spilled when um, you have injury to cells in your body. The, the cells spill RNA, and we actually have tons of what they call RNA aces, which are enzymes which digest RNA. I think that's one of the reasons why um, when they measured um RNA name, breast milk, it doesn't get there. It's not hanging out long enough, but the antibodies do.
0: See that that is amazing. So uh, a- again, so we're, we're sitting at a baseball game in some bleachers, and I'm uh, you, you probably didn't want to be ambushed with all these questions, but you know, one of my concerns was how long does this vaccine stay in your body? Because again, with all of the conspiracy theories out there, or the people who are, not, mm-hmm. you know, well, this stuff never leaves your body, but that's just not true. It, your body. Uh, basically expels this in a day or two right yeah and and you do manage to change to translate some of the rna into protein and that's what you become immune against excellent excellent i am fascinated with this i wish we could have dr Herrick on every week for the next two months I, i this has been an amazing discussion but we will have a whole lot more coming up next Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, go to SeniorCareLive.com. All right, so we had some huge news this last week. And now, Senior Care in the News. A news report from Steve Keeker, president of Senior Care Consulting. All right, this is from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And this is from Tuesday, August the 23rd. And the statement, today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the first COVID-19 vaccine. The vaccine has been known as the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, but will now be marketed as, I think it's a goofy name, uh, Comirnaty like com- community, but uh, community, Anyway, I I don't like it. <laughs> it says for the prevention of COVID nineteen. More on that in a second. <laughs> disease in individuals sixteen years of age or older. And it goes on to talk about it's also uh, you know, available under the emergency use authorization, which was the original uh, authorization. Uh, and and it goes on to you know it goes on to say a lot more than that. But uh, Dr. Herrick, I, I guess I guess the big news is. And again, a lot of people have been holding out, Mm -hmm. well, when this thing gets approved by the FDA, then I'll be more interested or more likely to get vaccinated. So how do you feel about the FDA approval? And do you think it will actually help convince some of the skeptics or some of the folks who are sitting on the sidelines?
1: It's good to see. I think it's gonna help people feel more uh, reassured about getting the vaccine. Um, And about the original emergency use, So our FDA is very careful. A lot of things that get into other countries don't get through the FDA for several years, okay? Um, And there are certain cases, uh, the emergency use authorization is something that preexisted the COVID vaccines. There were other medicines that got in under emergency use authorization, but it's precisely for that, an emergency. And, you know, we have a pandemic here and I'd say 90, 95% of healthcare personnel see
0: that, they know that, and um, they agree that it's an emergency. So, uh, what's the herd immunity number? Isn't it like 80% or 90? I can't remember. It depends on who you talk to. right? Um, is it around 80? I, I've seen 60,
1: 70. Uh, certainly, the more, the better. Okay, um, and, and the longer we wait, the more of this virus can fester out there in the community, and the more it can mutate, and the harder it's going to be to get back in the bottle.
0: Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, here's one of my... Okay. So, a, as you may know, I, I, I understand both sides of this debate. Okay, we need to get vaccinated. No, we, we shouldn't, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. I want, I'm really interested on your opinion. But I think the messaging has been completely botched, <laughs> frankly, by our government and from all kinds of entities. Uh, everyone needs to get on the same page and actually have an accurate message. But here is a glaring example of, at least in my opinion, of what's driving this huge block of people not getting vaccinated. If you recall, right, as I read, this is straight from the FDA approved for the prevention of COVID 19 disease. It does not prevent COVID 19. The message should say it will reduce the symptoms of COVID-19 with the intent or the hope of keeping you out of a hospital and on a ventilator. Because once you're on a ventilator, uh, there's a high percentage that that could be a death sentence right there. You may not get off of that ventilator. So, uh, and I can count, I can recite countless numbers of people who are fully vaccinated, who are at home and they're sick. They're not in a hospital. That's the whole point. But they're at home and they're, they're in their 14-day quarantine and all that kind of stuff, and they have COVID-19, right? So, so that is just an example of the messaging that's just driving me completely crazy. So uh, I'll ask your opinion on that here in just a second, but first of all, let's talk about d- the booster, right and getting the booster and now the third so booster shot or the third round here of the vaccination right now who's that recommended for and how how do you feel about the whole booster idea sure
1: you know and and i agree with you on the messaging i think the 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 public health authorities have not been the best salesman and i think that's why there's been some hesitancy uh and and you know uh i agree with you that there are some people who had the vaccine who got sick um but they're not getting as sick. Exactly what you said. You're yeah. exactly right on that. Um, but there's a large number of people who got the vaccine. And, you know, I'm one of them. And, uh, you know, we use still use our masks and so on. But um, uh, I've been exposed for a good uh, six months, since I, six and a half months since I finished the vaccine. And, and so it, it does prevent in a large number of people. It's just that there are a few breaking through. And, and that's our recent issue. That's what's led to this recommendation for a booster and also for recommendation for starting the mask again which again caring a lot about civil liberties i care a lot about i i don't like to see you know i don't like to give up my civil liberties yeah um but you know uh and and we, and we talked about it being an emergency where sometimes you know we will give up uh temporarily um a liberty to help prevent spreading an illness so the recommendation for uh, a booster It depends on who you listen to. It depends, even within the federal government, Mm. who you listen to. So the the CDC is saying certain risk groups, okay, Uh, people on chemo, people on steroids, okay, and also uh, on the other hand, the HHS under the way I see it, orders from President Biden uh, is telling you know everybody can get a booster. So the question is, why is there that discrepancy? Yeah, Uh, and if this is a good time to talk about it. So, so the issue is that there was an outbreak in Massachusetts this summer uh, at a summer festival, 800 people got COVID. Of those 74% had previously been vaccinated. This is what's by and large led to the concern about wearing masks again, getting a booster. The, on the other hand, not quite two weeks ago, the New England Journal, the best journal of medicine in all the world published a study and it showed that two doses of Pfizer give you 88% efficacy in preventing Delta. So the question—the question is why this discrepancy—and I think it has to do with the kind of gathering that was in Massachusetts. It was—it was a gathering at which there was a large percentage of, of sexual activity, and the kind of activity that's been known to lead to acquired immune deficiency. Um, you could Google on any news outlet, Provincetown, and you could see what that's about. And, and while I don't feel like anyone deserves to get ill, I do feel like that when you have a bad immune system, you cannot extrapolate that experience to everybody.
0: Yep. Yeah and so and so and I I preached this from from day 1 and and we talked about it in January is you know if you have if you are immunocompromised If you have COPD or CHF, if you're diabetic, if you are obese, I mean, there are some of these high risk factors. You need to take all of the extra precautions that you possibly can. You shouldn't be in large gatherings. You should definitely wear your mask. Um, and, and, And... And maybe you should have your groceries delivered to you. And I don't know if you need to hole up in your bedroom and wait for 10 years for this stuff to go away. But you need to be extra cautious versus someone else who may not have some of those issues. Right. Exactly. So, all right. So... Uh just wanna thank Dr. Herrick for being here today um I, I just doctor i i really i have two more hours of questions <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you having me. it's a great show, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, let's slip one more in r- really quick. if you've been vaccinated, should you still wear your mask
1: so um certainly. Uh, within healthcare facility and 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 this is where i I may, just in my own personal opinion, differ a little bit from official recommendations. Certainly, it's good to follow the law. We should all you know respect the government. sure. sure. Uh, and, and you know why? you know kCK is different from the cities of Johnson County. you know, the retail establishments in KCK are requiring masks now. those in Johnson County are not. okay? yeah, um, and then there's the schools. so, yep. yes, where you know, at least in the lower
0: grades, you can't vaccinate. Yep. Mm -hmm. all right all right well thank you to dr patrick herrick family practice physician and phd in biomedical engineering uh thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate it thank you all right i'm your host steve keeker and i wish you grace and peace may god bless you and your family on this day and always join me next week right here on senior care live